Bookworms Horror Podcast is sponsored by Creepy Crate. Creepy Crate is a horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. Each bi-monthly box is filled with over $85 of terror and includes at least one horror or true crime book. This box delivers dread to your doorstep for just $39.99 with free shipping. Go to creepycrate.store to subscribe. Use the code bookworm5 at checkout to get $5 off your subscription. That's bookworm5 for $5 off your subscription. And now to the show. Welcome, my friends, to Bookworms Horror, the podcast that offers you tips on writing, especially for the horror genre. My name is James Ippolitti, and normally I talk about my podcast, The Real Demons of Pop Culture, but I wanted to introduce you to a new daily podcast that I am putting out. And if you like this show, you probably will like the other one because it's just little five minute creative, inspirational episodes. It's basically to get your juices flowing in the morning. So it's every morning, Monday through Friday, and it is called Turn Off, Tune Out, and Drop In. It's all about turning off your screens, tuning out distractions, and dropping in to what the universe is trying to tell you about your creative life. So check it out. The other awesome news is that issue two of the Bookworms Horror Zine is now available on the Etsy site. The link will be in the show notes. This is our summer horror zine. We've got new fiction and some nonfiction essays and stories. Always great artwork and little puzzles and things you can do. Riddles, word search, all that good stuff. So go get issue two and if you haven't got issue one yet go get that because it's almost sold out and we aren't making more so today on bookworms horror i will be discussing outline with regina st Clair. regina is a wadi award winner for best horror novel as well as multiple screenwriting awards including a webby honoree Regina is also the contributing editor of the best-selling Local Haunts, a horror tube anthology. Find Regina and her alter ego, Batilda, at her booktube channel, Regina's Haunted Library, and on her blog, rstclair.com. Regina and myself are the editors of the Bookworms Horror Zine, and since we're seeking great horror fiction for bookworms, we created this weekly podcast to offer writers quick tips on writing for the genre. Find all our links in the show notes. Now let's jump into my conversation with Regina as she speaks with me from her haunted library. So we're going to talk about outlining this week, and if you've read anything about writing, you know there's the pantser and the plotter, they call it, but we're not really talking about plot, we're just talking about outlining. Which one are you? A little bit of both? Are you somebody who just flies by the seat of their pants, or do you outline? This is an interesting question, because I definitely have tried both. And when I started out, because I did a screenplay first, I would meticulously outline into beats 
and scenes and this type of thing. So I was kind of trained to to do that when then I transcribed my screenplays to novels and then started just writing novels. Let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you've, you're saying you started with screenwriting and, and that, but I know prior to that you did a lot of theater work. Have you ever did anything like for playwriting? Uh, maybe just a little bit. And I have to take that back. I did write a lot of short stories and I had some beginnings to novels that I never finished. So I, I was writing fiction as well, mm-hmm. but not plays so much, even though I studied drama. But actually studying drama, I think, is was the best training I had in writing wow. fiction because it taught me all about conflict and, mm-hmm. and characters and heroes and, and foils and protagonists wow. and, and this type of thing. So that kind of leads into the outlining process. So I do, I do outline, but then I, I what, what was it? Oh, masterclass. I took the the masterclass online with, uh, oh gosh, help me out, James. You know, oh, James Patterson. I can't believe I forgot his name. Uh, And he is a meticulous outliner. I thought you were going to say Robert McKee. I did, I did, Rob, well, that's, I'm going to get to him, too, because I I did. You did that, too. Well, I know you read the book, and you did an entire, I don't know if it was YouTube, but you did a lot. Yeah, playlist. Yeah. I broke down each, each chapter, and you can find it on my YouTube channel. I'm sorry about my dog. She's annoying. Yeah, so I read Robert McKee's story at least twice, maybe three times. I took notes. I broke it down by chapter, and I took his seminar in New York a couple years ago, and that was incredible training. And I think, to answer your question about the outlining, I started out outlining, but after all that study I did, when I then wrote without an outline, I think I was still outlining in my head. I had just Mm -hmm. really absorbed the process. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense, yeah. So I knew what I had to do. There was a Wesley something Smith. Gosh, I'm really bad with names today. He has a, a YouTube channel. He's a prolific writer, and he has a um, book called Writing, in t- Writing Into the Dark. And, and that, I noticed when I was at StokerCon, there was other people were had a book called Writing Into the Dark Workbook, but it wasn't him. So I don't know. I guess it's a thing. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't uh, copyright the idea. But, and I don't know. I, don't, I think it's more about horror is what they're getting at, Into the Dark. But he's talking about writing without an outline. Just, you just start and write, and you never outline. And he doesn't even really look back. But because he's such a prolific writer, he knows the process. Right. So I think it's probably a good idea to start out with some kind of rough outline where you have your beats at least and you know where you're going. I think outlines are great and I think they're great training. I I think every new writer should try writing with an outline, but you don't have to stick with it. You can make changes along the way. You you can change a lot of what you're doing but i think that if you know where you're going 
I always write around, I try to do a twist. Sometimes I've done a really good twist and sometimes not so good, but I, the twist usually comes like, I don't know, three quarters in. So at the climax, perhaps in the story that the old chart they, they teach you in school, the rising action, yeah. all of that stuff. I think that's, that's good to know. Yeah, so I think now I'm as you're talking, I'm visualizing mm-hmm. my training in music, and it's and this is art. Period. It doesn't matter if it's painting or playing a song. You as and and I don't know why people think it should be different with writing, but it's not. As a writer, starting out, it helps to do the outline because you're just learning these things. As a musician starting out, it helps to kind of know the notes. Then you move on from notes to chords. And then you're not thinking in chords anymore. You're thinking in chord progressions, right? And so then you kind of know how the song goes, verse, chorus, and everything. So you can think a song through. The more experienced you are, you hear it as an entire section. You don't think about the note anymore, right? And so you write that section and it's the same thing that once you get the bones of your story, you then fill it out with the meat, you know what I mean? I and, I totally agree and, and I don't understand people who don't use any kind of structure because well, the McKee story system which a lot of people have rejected they don't they feel it's too much rule oriented but it's not rules it's principles that have worked from the beginning of time so you're learning the like you said the chords you could sit down and try to play the guitar without chords and it probably won't sound so good i think you need to know the basics yeah and i think this is even i love watching painters or any kind of fine artist on like TikTok or YouTube or Instagram and you're seeing them doing these tiny tiny details to you it already looks like a perfect piece and they're going in and they're doing a touch up near the eye or something and you can't see why that matters but they've mm-hmm. trained themselves to be able to see that to that detail it's the same thing with writing you will write and then and I'm sure you've already experienced this Regina if if you would go back, but now you're seeing things a little bit from the being able to write something and tweak it. Maybe it's just one word, but it's because you know that detail mattered. Yes. Now it matters to me. Yeah. And, and it's an act of faith that what the marks you're putting on the paper are somehow going to be understood by the reader. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess the scary part is you don't know if what you're trying to transmit actually lands. And that's why it's great when someone does enjoy your story and they get it for the reason why you wrote, you know, like, oh, they're giving, they're saying what I, what my intention was. Great, it worked. And sometimes you don't get that, but. I think knowing knowing the basics, I, I'm a great believer in that. I read uh, Dean Koontz's book on writing genre fiction mm-hmm. that he wrote in the 70s, and some of it's a bit out of date because they don't have a lot of these genres anymore, but one thing that 
I, he had a, a, a section on a gothic romance, which is a, a genre I was interested in writing with, and I took his advice when I structured my story. So I, I wrote a, a, what I consider like a very paint-by-numbers gothic romance a couple years ago, and I used his steps. It doesn't mean I copied, I just... You know, you in that type of there are there are uh, conventions. So, the in the typical gothic romance story, it's a heroine who is young, a little virginal. She <laughs> usually virginal. Now that doesn't mean you can't play on that. Like I read a really great uh, gothic romance called uh, Gaywick, which was about a gay young man who was very innocent who has a relationship with the uh the lord of the manor kind of thing so you don't have to it doesn't always have to stick to the same gender or whatever but the conventions if you if you're going to make a successful effort you want to stick with the conventions unless you're so brilliant you can really twist those conventions in a way where it still is within that genre. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, Joseph Campbell has the hero's journey. And how many movies have been made based off the hero's journey? Yes. And unless I mean, I you... think Star Wars, the first Star, Star Wars, Wars is, is exactly... a perfect example. Yep. It was, it was literally going step by step with the hero's journey with Star Wars. And I think there's so many other movies that you'll be like, well, if you pull it, you know, pull back the curtain, you'll see that they all have that same structure. Structure is something that, you know, it's like building a house, right? Yes. You got to build the frame and then you can do whatever you want and decorate it any way you want. And not every house is the same, but they have that structure. Now, some people don't respond to that as a writer or as a reader. Maybe they can see through to the structure. And that's where you have to be careful that you're not following the rules so much that someone is like, oh, I know what's, I can tell that this guy who seems like the nice guy is going to turn out to be the bad guy because I've read so many of these books. I know that's the formula. But people do read formulaic books too, like romances and and things like that. Like in a romance, if you, if you don't give it a happy ending, you're going to have mutiny on your hands. Maybe this, I'm getting off topic. I'm talking about tropes and conventions instead of outlining, but I think it's connected. It is, because if you're following a traditional outline, people then call them tropes because they've been used so many times. Yes, and I think tropes is a negative connotation. I like the word convention, conventions, and having the, like when, you're, when you write a gothic romance, and I've, I've included this character in every one that I've done, is you have to have the Mrs. Danvers character, like from Rebecca, the, uh, the mean-spirited housekeeper who mm-hmm. is in direct opposition to the heroine. That, that's always important to have, think in terms of tension and triangles and tension between characters. There always has to be that. And that's one thing that McKee really stresses are these, and he breaks it down into the scene beats where there has to be, like if one scene ends on a high, like, let's, like if one scene ends on a win for the heroine, the next scene has to end on a down and kind of back and forth. And if you, I've never done this, but 
I've thought about doing this, taking some of my favorite stories and breaking them down like that, like each scene, what happens. Because that, that's, what keep, that's what the moment, that keeps the momentum going. I know we've all seen films and read stories, and some of the best writing now is, you know, I think you might, would agree, is in television. I mean, those, yes. Some of those television episodes, like that one in, uh, what's that, zombie? Oh, my God. <laughs> the new one about the end of the world with the, and the zombies. Are you talking about the HBO special? Um, or the HBO, it was called um, The Last of Us? Yes. That's actually a video game that turned into right. a movie. But, but there was that one episode. I haven't seen the whole thing because I'm still recovering from, I think it was episode three with the, the gay, car- the gay yes. couple. That was like a beautifully written film or, just, or short story within itself, self-contained, with some incredible writing. And it, it was impressive. So. But that had expectation and like you didn't know if you could trust the guy. And then there was a love story and then there's a tragedy and there's a threat and there's a ticking clock and all of those conventions. Maybe if, if a writer like those, right, that writer, maybe there are more than one, they're very clever. They hide those conventions very well. So you don't see them, but you feel them. And I think that's the goal. I think anyone who thinks that they don't want to write an outline because it's, it's going to impede their creative process are not really understanding the importance of it. And here's the thing. I've done both as well. If, and he, my biggest problem with just sitting down and writing, one, I think, yeah, there is that creative thing. But eventually, you're going to have to go back. You're going to do more editing in the long run because you're going to have to go back because so many things have happened that, like, when you sit down, those new ideas come and it doesn't work for the first 30 pages you just wrote, but it's now you know you have to go with this new idea because it's so good. Right. And those are things that come up when you're just sitting there. But conventions are there for a reason. Now, that doesn't mean you have to follow those, but right. you have to then change your expectation for the audience because there's, you know, I always think, um, you could write music for the masses, or you could be like Tom Waits and mm-hmm. write stuff that's like, I'm big in Japan. I'm big in Japan. <laughs> I love Tom Waits. <laughs> right. But Tom Waits is not selling, like, you know what I mean? He's not writing for the masses. But I would say, though, Tom Waits knows how to write a good hook. He does, but he's not, he's not mainstream. No, he's not mainstream. And he never will be. But musically... But that's he, what we're talking about. Like right. in, in books, there are mainstream writers. Like here's a good example. Um, who's the? Uh, oh God, damn it! Da Tom Vinci Clancy. Code. No. The, oh, the, Dan Brown. Dan Brown, very successful. But mm-hmm. I read like two of his books, and by the second book, I'm like, this is so formulaic that I, I can't know. read anymore. I, that happened to me. I read the Da Vinci Code, and I had loved the. Uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which yes, the Da, which is da Vinci the, Code is they like tried based to sue them. I think they lost though. Well, one was nonfiction, one I was know. fiction, so it's different. But yes, I tried. I read. <laughs> in fact, I read the whole thing, and then I'm like, "Damn this, Dan Brown! I can see what you're doing at every chapter." The, um, the cliffhangers. He does the cliffhanger. Li- yeah, that's every what I'm end of for. the chapter. There's this cliffhanger to make you turn the pages. 
Exactly. And I did turn the page and I read it, but I was resentful. <laughs> Does that make sense? I was resentful because I saw, I saw the wires yes. holding up Peter Pan. Yes, that is exactly how it felt. And so there's that extreme. Mm-hmm. And then there's writers who like, you know, Bukowski or something like that, you know, uh, people who write in a way that is just like, um, even what's his name? Uh, Naked Lunch, Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Like you could read him and it's like, wow, like what's going on here? Yeah, or Henry Miller. It's not really about a plot. Yeah. It's, an, it's an experience. But they're such good writers, you're like there with them in this experience. Right. So if you want to be uh, William Burroughs, then that's, that's perfectly fine. But remember, I mean, I think, I still don't think he's got Dan Brown numbers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's two different extremes here. Mm-hmm. And... Or James Patterson now just basically writes the outline and, and a ghostwriter fills in right. the blanks. I'm not interested in that being that kind of writer, but there, there are, those are the extremes. Yeah, you that's can what I'm be, saying. We're uh, looking at extremes here. I mean, I've read so many and a lot of newer fiction where I've tried to read a book that everyone's like in love with and it's so... It's, it, it's ignoring conventions so much that I don't feel grounded in it. Now, that might be my limitations, but I don't know where I'm at. I don't know. What is this genre? Where am I? Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I'll lose interest in that book. And, and maybe another topic for one of these podcasts is what makes a book boring to us? I, I'm fascinated by why we lose interest in it. And it's different for different people. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I've had people, I've, you know, bought books where, other booktubers whose taste I respect rave about, and I can't get through the first chapter because I don't know who, you know, who the character is. I'm struggling to, it's not like I can't understand it. It's just like, I don't care. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, what makes good, you care? I mean, right. McKee would say, what makes you care are these principles and, and you need to learn them. It doesn't yeah. just happen. And it's interesting that I'm going to go back to music here again. If you're improvising in traditional music, you stay within, like, I'm playing a major chord, I play a major scale, you know, like, that's what I'm going to use as the notes. And then there's this joke that if you hit a wrong note, it's now jazz. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's it. Like, jazz is taking those rules and breaking them. But um, there's a difference between just playing badly and playing jazz. Yes. And I think that's when we're talking about like outlining, give it a try. Do both ways like Regina did. Do both ways. See what works for you. Some people are very meticulous with their outlines. Some people are very loose. Some people don't do it at all. But find out what works for you. But know the rules you're breaking. Right. Well, like, and I think it, the, when you, the more you write, this becomes subconscious. Yes. And you'll start to think this way anyway, which I, I think was the whole idea behind writing Into the Dark from uh, whatever his name is, <laughs> Smith, this last, last, Wesley Smith, something like that. I don't know. I feel terrible that I can't remember people's names. I, I should have been either. prepared. I mean, it's, it happens. It's, it's age. If you're young, but... just get used to, eventually <laughs> you won't know their names. It's just that we have so much to remember. That's... I don't know, because I love this one joke that says, what is the 
part of my brain that used to remember phone numbers doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. We used to always remember, remember phone you numbers. would just sit there and just know your friend's number, your home number. Like every number was just stored in your brain. And now it's like not being used. So what's it doing now? I used to be able to read maps too. Yeah. Like roadmaps. All but, right. Uh, but what was, what was one? Oh, this is, I wanted to make this one last point about outlining. I'm currently editing my new novel that's coming out in August. And I've been taking a couple chapters a day every morning and, and going through it. And I did notice that without outlining, I'm like, oh, I'm at the halfway point, like I could see in my Scrivener. Oh, well, I'm halfway through. And right at that halfway point is a major turn. And I did not plan it that way. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It, it does become second nature. It does become second nature. And the more you read, the more you absorb Absolutely. That, those conventions. So whether you outline or not, I think it's a good idea to know at least where you're going. Yes. Yeah. And you might take a a different path to get there. Right. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about characters, creating characters. Thank you for tuning in to the Bookworms Horror Podcast. All our links are in the show notes. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. Worms is a Gorilla Delphia production. Yeah!